Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, your weekend IndyCar listener Q&A show. We are winding down here. Sun is starting to set, and it is quite beautiful. Hey, end of this week, what do we have? IndyCar content days, media days in Indianapolis. And guess who won't be there? That'd be me. Why? I don't know. Hey, um, they said the first race of the year is March 10th. So we're going to have media days two months prior to the first race. Sure. Anyways, uh, yeah. Uh, hope y'all are doing well. Really do look forward to all the fun that is coming up here on this episode. All the questions put together in the answers to the somewhat abstract question that I posed. All done by our friend Jerry Sudduth. Big thanks to you, Jerry. Before we get rolling, I want to mention a couple of quick things. First, that would be huge congratulations for our friends Maggie and Jeff. Maggie Kuhn, you might know, she is the willpower super fan. See Maggie at many races with that big old mug of wills draped around her neck. Uh, she and her guy, Jeff, well, they're getting married and just so happy. I refer to her as magnificent because that is exactly what she is. If every IndyCar fan was like Maggie, the world would have no problems. <laughs> the world would be absolutely fantastic. So congrats to you crazy kids. If you are a longtime fan of IndyCar, you might know the name Christian Fittipaldi, race winner, Big factor when he came over here, mid-90s or so. I think 95 was his first year after his foray in F1. Son of Wilson Fittipaldi, brother to Emerson Fittipaldi, winner of the 8500 and IndyCar Championships. Three Formula One World Championships as well. But Wilson is Christian's father, Formula One entrant and driver as well. Uh, he's really been in a bad way since the holidays and things are, are very much day by day. So if you are a praying person or not a praying person, person who wants to just send love in all the everything positive to the Fittipaldi family, Christian's dad, Wilson Fittipaldi, um, just been going through some really, really hard times. Last quick item here to mention. Ooh, been a uh, been a fun day with the final confirmation. Final by that I mean expecting this to happen, but glad it finally did. Final confirmation of Santino Ferrucci completing AJ Foyt Racing's driver lineup. And so, with all of that said, we have uh, all but two seats. The IndyCar grid, full-time grid set. Just waiting for Dale Coyne Racing to name their two drivers. Heard that they have one who's pretty darn close. Think that is Devlin DeFrancesco. And I've heard that the other, not as close. Lots of names, lots of possibilities. I mean, I run through all of them, but I don't feel like I'd be accurate in telling you who's going to be 
in that second seat yet. I don't think they have a, a full picture of that as well, but we are getting ever closer to having the full grid in place. On the Foyt angle, that came in after Jerry put together our questions yesterday. So in lieu of looking to see if any additional questions came in about it, we'll just try and cover that off quickly here to start. Before I do that, though, I want to say a huge thank you to FAF Technologies, our newest partner to the show. Give them some love, y'all, because they are pretty darn cool. Uh, they indeed, folks, purveyors of next-generation composite engineering and manufacturing. These are folks who make things primarily out of carbon fiber and projects related to motor racing, aerospace, you name it. I'm going to talk to you more about them as we get into uh, the second half of January and into February as well, but really pleased to have FAF Technologies come and join us as one of our two big Keystone partners, along with the ongoing and returning folks, makers of premium automotive chemicals and lubricants, that being the Justice Brothers. And then the third member of our show, been with us since day one, the first partner of the show, that being torontomotorsports.com. If you do love motor racing memorabilia, IndyCar, sports cars, F1 hats, t-shirts, models, books, stickers, check out torontomotorsports.com. Uh, last little item there before we get into the Foyt bit. Um, appreciate many of y'all who have picked up some of the new show stickers and other things that have posted on the marshallpruittpodcast.com merch site uh, page, I should say been having a lot of issues with that especially with shipping and i know some of you tried to buy some stickers and otherwise and were met with silly issues not of your own making but uh we decided that okay let's just kill that kill it with fire and so i need to spend some time proofing some things and making sure everything's good to go uh but we will indeed have a new dedicated site for all of that stuff and a lot of other memorabilia and things that just looking to sell most of it from a collection that I amassed over the years, whether it's books, magazines, models, a lot of the stuff I've just had for a long time. It's been sitting around. So trying to blow a lot of that stuff out, clear out space. There's a ton more to add. I have a giant record collection. It's not motor racing, but yeah, I think about 3000 albums, um, which I stopped adding to, I don't know, beginning of the two thousands, but just a lot of things camera gear like there's so many things where i look at that and go this just needs to belong to someone else <laughs> and i would rather reclaim that little small footprint that it takes up and get more free space uh than continue to own that thing so once we get that site fully proofed and ready to go yeah that's where all the show stickers and everything else will be there for your acquisition amusement okay so the foyt team confirmed santino ferrucci returning two years now it'll be two years in a row full-time it's a question as to whether he would be back full-time or if he might be sharing the car with someone else team has confirmed it is indeed full season so great for santino know that callum Eilat had been in the frame there possibly to do some road course racing in that number 14 chevrolet that won't be happening at least not as of right now so good on Santino, good on the team for holding on to him. He will be partnering with 
Stingray Rob. And so with how the announcement was written and a little bit of the background that wasn't in it, but I called to get some further clarification on, uh, there are no plans for the team's second driver last season, Benjamin Peterson, to be a part of anything related to the Foyt team. But isn't that a weird thing since they announced, the team announced he had joined on a three-year deal? Well, yeah. Um, As I wrote in the story on racer.com, allegedly there was a breach of contract. And due to that alleged breach of contract, they no longer have a working relationship. What is the alleged breach well again i haven't seen the contract i don't know i wasn't there but i can just tell you the thing that has been said many many times in the paddock the proverbial paddock folks have said is there was some form of payment that was missed again allegedly not claiming that to be accurate a fact right wrong or anything just telling you that is what i have heard many times over so Regardless of what the root cause was, nothing about what the Foyts have confirmed for 2024 include Benjamin Peterson. Feel bad for the kid? Bad year. There wasn't a whole lot that we could look at and say was positive in his debut IndyCar season. Does that mean he should not drive IndyCar again? No, of course not. I would hope he would find a landing spot somewhere else. I just don't know if that's going to be possible with, as I mentioned earlier, all but two seats are locked down for the full season. One of them we believe is going to be taken by Devlin DeFrancesco. Got it. And potentially we have a second car that who knows who that could go to. But I would say... If there were concerns or questions about budget or payments or anything else, those are not the kinds of things that make it really easy to then promote yourself or possibly secure a seat somewhere else. If there are no financial issues and there's plenty of budget to offer, I would think COIN would be open to speaking But if nothing were to happen there, I'm not aware of any other place Benjamin could go to continue being an IndyCar driver in 2024, with the only exceptions being the Indy 500, for example. There are still one or two seats that could be vacant, could be taken, I guess is a way to put it, but... What kind of budget would be offered? Uh, again, this none of this is easy. Again, I'm not saying there's no way for Benjamin to continue in some capacity this year. I'm just not seeing how that happens in a easy or timely capacity. Well, what about maybe getting out in a extra entry for a team later in the season? You mean when IndyCar is supposed to be going hybrid? And like, just, yeah, uh, things are going to be at a real premium in terms of parts and willingness to do extra cars. 
that's again why I'm saying if it isn't Foyt, which according to Foyt, it's not them. Yeah, there might be one shot for Benjamin to continue his career. I'd like to see the kid get a second year just because it'd be sad. He's a sweetheart of a kid, right? Parents as well, fond of them. I'd hate for this to be the culmination and end point for his open wheel stuff here. Could something in IMSA be possible? It could. Keep in mind the season starts, at least in terms of the preseason official test that rolls right into the race, like we're a week and a half away from that happening. So finding something season long possible there, even that's a challenge. So it's just, this is no joke, y'all. No joke at all. All right, on that really happy start to the show. Why don't we kick things off with the first question that comes from our guy, Ed Joris says, what is the reaction of the Honda IndyCar teams to the December messages from American Honda bin? Is this something they knew was coming? Was it a surprise? How many are actively considering alternate strategies should Honda leave? Um, wasn't a widely known thing in terms of the larger message being conveyed to uh, the series. This hasn't been a super giant secret, though, Ed, from Honda, meaning like they woke up in late November, early December, and decided they really wanted costs to come down. This has been a subtext of theirs for a little while, just hadn't reached the critical mass point that it did. And what we wrote about, but they, as I understand it, told IndyCar about this more than once this year. So... These are the kinds of conversations that do get around. I believe, I don't know, I believe this next thing to be true, although I don't know what the number is, but I believe there is a annual lease increase that's been agreed to for 2024. Don't know what that number is, but the rough number, I believe, has been 1.2 or so, 1.25. Uh, so not sure if and what that's gone up to, but... The need for cost containment, not something brand new. So uh, here's the thing. I don't know if this, how this comes across. I'm just sharing with you. For those teams that I've spoken with who have been aware of this, uh, there's not a lot to talk about. Talking with those team owners who I haven't spoken about this with, they would talk on background, off the record, but not publicly. So that part to me is it doesn't hold a lot of interest just because if all we can do is talk secretly, okay, that might inform my view on something. But uh, if you're not willing to talk about this publicly, and I know what your feelings on this happen to be, but you're not willing to say them, um, continuing to chase those conversations down, uh, yeah, limited interest for me. Um, as for alternate strategy, should Honda leave? I, mean, I think if we look at the grid this season, 27 cars that I'm aware of full-time, 15, I believe, are Honda. Uh, there's some room if Honda were to shed a team 
um, to balance things a little bit. Uh, so maybe, again, it's more like 13 for one, 14 for the other, 14 for one, 13 the other, instead of 12 and 15. But there's only one alternate strategy right now if Honda were to leave, and that'd be Chevy. So there's not a lot I can think of, Ed, in terms of considering. There's not a lot for Honda-powered teams to really be contemplating because as long as Honda's there, they've got engines. If they choose to not be there, that's on the series to decide what the next steps are. If, by chance, Chevy and Ilmore were to agree to either be the sole supplier or to do a spec-type motor with the Chevy motor being the base and to allow others to put their name on the cam covers and buy or lease those and use those. Um, Just one of those planning things where you can think about it, but until something were to happen and then IndyCar and Chevy slash Ilmore, who knows, someone else possibly, Cosworth, I don't know, were to decide on a post-Honda direction, there's just not much I can think of for the IndyCar teams using Hondas to prepare for because we don't know what that future would be. Uh, Ken Anderson, say, MP, any idea if IndyCar will test the energy recovery system at Thermal in March? Not that I'm aware of, but I will ask. Uh, the cars competing there will be in non-hybrid uh configuration for the testing and uh non-points race would they somehow have uh, cars testing using the hybrids there then have them yank the ers or the yeah the ers system from the unit from the cars uh to then do the all-star race It's not impossible by any means. I just don't know if they're going to have enough of the units for all 27 entries plus spares. Uh, So, yeah, even just using and testing, I'm not sure if they're going to have enough for that to uh, be a thing. But I'm making a note here. ERS testing at thermal? Question mark. There we go. Thank you for that, Ken. Oh, let's go to our pal Brian Cohn. Says, Marshall, excited to read about Jerry Hildebrand trying to have a go at the 500 again for all his success on the road to Indy. He's yet another American that I feel didn't quite get a fair shot in IndyCar. Be a great fit in a second Abel car to say mentor R.C. Enerson and then later Jacob Abel. Uh, who else is looking for Indy only rides? Uh, you raised some great points about JR. The Panther racing team he was a part of was good, not amazing during the time he was there. Became more competitive after. Uh, but yeah, um, a program that had reached some pretty decent heights with some of its former drivers was in a Pretty good situation there, uh, but also with a rookie driver and a team in transition. Yeah, enough things didn't exactly go according to plan there for him. And 
Yeah, uh, I felt terrible about how it ended and him getting cut and him returning later, years later, with Ed Carpenter Racing, you know, as expected, great on the ovals. Weren't necessarily great on the, the road and streets, but that experiment didn't last super long. So, yeah, I, you know, like many, wonder how his career might have changed if he was able to uh, lead that final lap across the yard of bricks to win the 500 on debut. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll never know. Cause that didn't happen. Um, yeah. And he would be a great mentor for anybody wherever he went. Um, who else is out there? Well, you have Stefan Wilson, certainly looking for some opportunities. Uh, you already mentioned RC Enerson, Charlie Kimball, uh, I'm told has uh, a budget of some sorts and has been looking around. You know, Maddie Brabham is another who would desperately like to get back to the 500. Uh, I know you asked for drivers, but I'm just mentioning all that comes to mind. Uh, I've heard Beth Peretta might have the strongest uh, commercial package to offer, but I haven't heard a lot about there being a ton of traction uh, and partnering with the team to make use of that. So, yeah, and I feel like I'm forgetting a couple of drivers. Uh, I'm sure it'll come to me, but yeah, th- there's there's a couple for sure. There's just only, I think, two seats that come to mind that are truly open right now. So, yeah, uh, not a lot of uh, rides left for folks to go and play Indy 500 in. Uh, Chris Hoffman, you say, Marshall, is this a make-or-break year for Alexander Rossi? As a Rossi fan, I worry about his prospects if he doesn't win a race or contend for the championship. Well, I want to allay your fears, Chris. I just can't, so I'm sorry. Uh, This is a very much of a make-or-break year for Alexander Rossi. And seems, I don't know, does that seem unfair? Feels like it's maybe a little unfair, but he's driving for a team that is desperate to not only win, but truly contend for a championship. I know Pato has been close running top three, top four in the championship, but there's usually been a pretty sizable gap, whether it's to a Penske driver or Ganassi driver. Even if Pato's been running third in the championship, it's usually, yeah, almost no hope of bridging the gap to get to the front there. So this is a organization that feels like they have invested a ton in people, in technology, and resources overall. Uh, the time is now. There's no patience I can think of for it. Well, we did good in 23, and, you know, we'll inch forward in 24, and maybe by 25 or 26. Like, no, they are wanting to get there now. And so knowing that, that indeed puts added pressure and expectations on Alexander. So there were times last season where he was extremely competitive in comparison to Pato. There were also many times where he was not. Debut season, new team, new engine, new everything to him. So we got all the things where you can say, yep, understand. Going into year two, I don't think you were going to find any of those caveats 
within the team, here's where things get tricky for Alexander. There's some folks potentially on the market or for sure going to be free agents who the team is already interested in, uh, has had recent interest in. Um, this isn't going to be a case of, of course, we want Alexander to do well, live on the podium, win a race or two, contend for a title. We want all those things. That's what we hired him for. But if they don't by chance happen, well, again, the driver market might be a little soft. So we want all those things, but there's no huge pressure to make all that happen or else. The situation here is, name the person, Renus VK, Callum Eilat, who knows from F2 or maybe current or soon-to-be former F1 drivers. Uh, there is not going to be a shortage of folks that the team would say, let's give you a shot. If things don't work out at that high, high level with Alexander this season. So just to close here, the team's not looking for someone to come home close to Pato on the days where Pato can't win, or even on the days that Pato does win. They're looking for someone who can challenge Pato for victories and be there or thereabouts at all times. They're not looking for a backup plan with the driver where if Pato finishes third, they've got someone who can be sixth. They want someone who can be third as well or second or first. So that's the goal. They also have this Malukas kid, total wild card. Don't know what to expect from him this upcoming season, but if he's able to match Pato however often, I don't know if that's going to be a good thing for Rossi. So this really is a case where if you are a Rossi fan, you are crossing toes and fingers and everything, really and truly hoping that 24 is a year where that guy who at Andretti was fighting for the championship, running P2, P3, that kind of thing, that that Rossi is the Rossi we get in 24 because that dude's pretty fearsome and that guy gets a nice fat contract extension after the season's over. Austin Taylor, you say Mars with IROC possibly coming back. Uh, well, it is. Um, saw the, the announcement that's coming back. Uh, what IndyCar drivers would you like to see compete? Let's see if there's anywhere it's like, okay, they specifically are amazing and just gotta, 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 gotta. So it depends if we're talking the IROC when it was ovals and road courses or if it's just ovals got to admit the oval one eh, it was actually really fun sometimes but it also became kind of lame uh at other times where all the nascar drivers basically just beat up on everybody else because that was their expertise but if it's a blend uh i for sure want to see alex polo that's one area that we have not seen him really show us who he is Right, We know he's amazing in open wheel, but can you excel in something different in multiple disciplines? Love to see that. Um, I mean, Dixon, sure, but you know he's already proven that, so uh, I'm not too worried there. McLaughlin, for sure. I know he's proven that, but just 
a young gamer. Pato, without a doubt. Um, New Garden do some SRX stuff. I thought he did okay uh, for a while, at least. I know, again, I think roughed up or whatever in the race, but uh, who else? Willpower for sure. Um, Kirkwood. Kirkwood's a gamer for sure. Uh, throw him in. Same with uh, Rosie. Same with Felix Rosenqvist. Uh, who else? Ferrucci. Yeah, throw Santino in there. That guy'd be a ball of fire. I'd love to see that. And we'll go with that for now. I feel like the fun one, which would be, again, use the word wild card. Oh, Linus. Let's check Linus in there and see how he does. Um, I'd say Blomkvist, but he's already an IMSA champ. So, again, we kind of know that guy's a good all-rounder. But, yeah, I feel good with that list. I don't know if you do, but, hey, there you go. Uh, Chris Kalewick, how are you, Chris? So we ask a lot of technical questions, but what do drivers eat before a race? Obviously, they need to be fueled up, but... Not anything uh, that they'll burn through quickly or cause any stomach distress. So do you know of any meals of choice for drivers for a race? Does it change based off of road courses or ovals? It may, but I'm not super aware of it. Um, it tends to be a pretty common thing that I see, that being pasta. Uh, pasta with some form of chicken, possibly. I don't know of a lot of like, hey, you're going to have a big old steak these days at least, or we're going to have the uh, gas station sushi. <laughs> I think there's a general avoidance, Chris, of things that might turn green in your stomach. Uh, so, yeah, pasta has been the go-to thing for a long time. So that's what I tend to see. Maybe some vegetables, some asparagus or green beans or whatever. But, yeah, not stuff that's going to be hard to digest not stuff that is going to just act like a magnet in your stomach that sucks in all the blood and drains all the energy from your body. Um, I am aware uh, that not every driver adheres to such things. You know, I mentioned on the podcast a couple of years ago where there was a driver being evaluated uh, by a team and one of the few things that led them to say no thanks, but one of the things that really stood out was their lack of a serious diet. Like I believe I was told they were eating uh flaming hot Cheetos and drinking, I think Mountain Dew. And that was the like pre qualifying kind of falls into that lunch period uh, meal. And yeah. So granted, you see that some NBA rookies or those who are early in their career getting chided by their more veteran teammates who've obviously learned the lesson, but get chided for you know going and buying a bag of McDonald's, whatever, and eating that before a game. And it's like, come on, man. Um, so I think that covers most, but I'm going to pay closer attention. And uh, yeah. This might be an interesting one to ask again later in the year, and I'll try and uh, run around and ask folks what exactly they eat before the race. You know what's funny? I know that I've asked this before. There's one driver comes to mind. I won't mention their name. 
um, cause it was necessarily for print, but, um, I remember asking one driver and it wasn't like a real probing cause, Oh, I'm going to go run to Instagram and yeah, we're going to tell the, it was just like a, I forget how it came up. It's just like a really innocent, Oh, Hey, you know, wait, what do you eat? You know, what, what's your choice uh, of meal before race? And was told, no, like, no, I don't, I don't want to give that away. Give it away. Like, well, you know, that that's, that's my choice. And it's, you know, how I choose to go racing. And I don't want someone else to know that because they might use that in some way against me or, or what, and I'm just sitting there going, how, uh, well, first, are you eating like bats or I don't know, rats are you like, is there some sort of bizarre blood ritual you got going on with, uh, I don't know. Um, or like, unless it's some sort of crazy radical thing that's, you know, nobody knows about, but it gives you an extra two tenths per second per lap, unless it was some radically crazy thing like that. And the person in question here is not that person. I guarantee you. Um, it just came across Chris as this really bizarre, like, okay, I, I get like, Hey, if you got some sort of training regimen where you do something and it boosts your cardio or muscle endurance, and that's a thing you can use to your advantage at the end of a race against some drivers who might be a little physically depleted. I get that. This just wasn't that though. This was like, Oh, super secrecy and you name it. And if someone were to know they could use it against me, I'm like, okay, buddy, you might be, might be taking this thing a little more serious than I ever thought. Um, Garen Porter, Sam P. Thank you so much for the series on Gilles de Ferrin. Thought about doing a documentary on IndyCar. There's only a, a couple uh, on its storied history. And if so, what would you do on it or like to see? Would it be on IMS or the history of another track? Rick Mears, the answers, AJ, the beast, the split, something else we fans would love. Best wishes to you and your lovely wife and cats. Thank you, Garen. Well, that's really sweet of you. Um, done a bunch of like little things over the years uh did one with rick mears jimmy johnson on their shared really unfathomable start in off-road racing in california uh making their way to the indianapolis 500 um did one on senna's one and only indycar test uh did that years ago um I don't know. Done some other. Did one on Porsche's lone IndyCar win, and you know these are all twenty minutes or so, so they're not like feature length by any means. But they're on my YouTube page. I think it's just YouTube slash Marshall Pruitt. Uh, some of those done in partnership with uh, my friend Travis Long. One with CoForce. Others just by myself. But um, yeah, I mean I. <laughs> If I got to a point, Garen, a couple years from now, where the th- main thing I did was create documentaries with people on IndyCar and IMSA, and that paid enough for my wife and I to live a life that was good, I would happily just do that because I love it. I just love it. I just seemingly never have the, rarely if ever have the time to do that. Um, was invited or asked 
last week, two weeks ago, um, to participate in a documentary on the split. Just responded to that yesterday, and I'm still continuing to respond to the 20-plus emails I've had sitting in my inbox for two months now, uh, just asking for more info. Like, sure, I'd love to talk about it. You know, was there, thereabouts, uh, in and around, etc. cetera. Uh, but waiting to hear back more details on that. Um, I've always wanted to do a documentary on one of my heroes, that being the late Jeff Krosnoff, killed in a just heart-wrenching crash at the uh, Toronto, the Molson Grand Prix kart IndyCar race in 1996. Um, There's some others for sure that I'd love to do or be a part of. Um, A part of one documentary that's getting close to being finished hoping that will be out here around may um and so that filmed all last year and i am a producer on that and also answered some did some sit down stuff for that as well i don't know if any of that'll make it hopefully it doesn't that'll make it better but i'm a producer on that and there's another one in the works that i wrote the i guess kind of the outline for uh on somebody known within indycar for sure but other forms of racing and that been in production for a little while uh recently exchanged emails with the director on it and uh they said they would like me to do some either on camera or voiceover stuff for that so yeah uh I'd love to, Garen, like truly. If there was some sort of magic, here's $20 million, (laughs) and you can draw from that as you need to make IndyCar, IMSA, open wheel, sports car documentaries, uh, long form, short form, medium form, for the next many, many, many years. Um you probably if they told me there was 20 grand i might say yes but uh, if there was just something where i knew plenty of budget to do it properly not going to go crazy but do it properly but also be able to support my family i would i'd be just tickled so the filmmaking is something that i love the doing trackside videos whether it's an end of day report or a little tech insight or a personality thing or telling a story like that's the thing I truly am loving more than anything. Uh, it's not that I don't enjoy writing. I do. Just that has been the primary thing I've done now for 17 years, 18 years. So could see how that might not be the, the big, oh my goodness, I cannot wait to get up and write another story about whatever. Just if you've done thousands upon thousands of them might not hold the same appeal so that's where doing more of the trackside video or whatever little vignettes and features that's where i'm drawing a lot of inspiration from these days so thanks for asking brother uh matthew featherman mp been re-watching a lot of mid-90s to early 2000s kart races to see jill de Ferran race again Besides missing Gilles, it also made me realize how much more I miss those days of 
multiple chassis. Say, if IndyCar ever saw the light and allowed someone to compete with Delara, is there anyone out there that could compete if the economics made sense? Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a, a number of, of great chassis manufacturers in the world. Um, not as many as, well, I shouldn't say not as many. Not as many that we know of at the highest level that are commercially oriented for sure you think of a tatus for example uh, they make a lot of great junior open wheel machines my gal as well is another one that does that you look to some of the big sports car producers Liget is one that's also in the uh the open wheel space areca is another one where these are just mighty fine firms who could, without a doubt, uh, produce an IndyCar if needed, uh, if the money was there. And I'm sure I'm, I'm forgetting lots of others. Um, would IndyCar look to a Red Bull Advanced Technologies to design such a thing? Again, I'm sure they could. Would imagine they have the uh, the people who could create such a thing. So it's out there, right? Lola uh, is making a return, been bought by sports car racer Till Bechtelsheimer. Till's all kinds of awesome. Uh, I would imagine they'd love nothing more than for someone to commission them to create an open-wheel car of some sorts. I don't know where Swift is at. I know Swift, until somewhat recently, was still making open-wheel chassis, Japanese Super Formula. If they're making them for another Formula Somewhere in the world I'm not aware of being based in California, you know, American base. That's great. Uh, don't know if that is still something they're looking to do or tooled up to be able to do, but yeah, uh, I am confident that such things could happen. Matthew, if, uh, there was a desire for it, let me see. All right, let's get down through our final questions here and then get to your answers to the uh, stupid question of the week that I posed to y'all. Christopher D'Amato, Marshall, building on a question from last week, do you think Cosworth would entertain building engines for IndyCar? Uh, They would be the most equipped to be an Ilmore type of outfit. I just don't know if they have the desire to do it. Uh, Yeah. Um, It's been a while, maybe mid-2010s. I don't know if it was 15, 16, 17, somewhere in there, but I do, I wrote a story. I think others might've written it as well that, uh, Cosworth said they have a 2.2 liter turbocharged V6 design, just waiting for a manufacturer to pay them and make it. So yeah, Cosworth is in the business of creating specialty engines and supplying them. So Assuming the dollars made sense, I have no doubt that Cosworth would love to be involved. Um, They're involved right now through supplying electronics to IndyCar, right? The data systems are on the car. This is uh, from, for some of you old school folks like me, the the company once upon a time known as Pi Research, um, bought by Cosworth. But yes, Cosworth as a business uh, is absolutely involved in IndyCar and has been 
uh, for quite some time. So this would just be implementing the uh, spinny bits, the motor side of their offering. So yeah, no question. Um, let's see, where do we go? Lance Snyder. Oh my gosh, here we go. This guy again, our minister of mirth. Uh, you're mirth and me, Snyder. I am actually happy. I just realized I get to see you here in, uh, yeah, a week and a half or so um, at Daytona. So that's awesome. I need to bring you beer this time. He brought me some beer uh, at Petit Le Mans, and it was good, and we drank it. Uh, there were nothing but empties left at the end of the race. So thank you, brother. You see, uh, with FAF Technologies now on board, making your show heavily sponsored by Canadians, and I've thought about that. Uh, I'm a little concerned. The ratio might be off. We got Toronto-based FAF Technologies and Toronto-based TorontoMotorsports.com. Oh, man, I'm telling you. I might not have thought that one all the way through, Lance. Um, with the show heavily sponsored by Canadians, are you having to speak Canadian more often? When someone calls, do you have to ask what the call is about? Uh, our temperature is now in Celsius on the show. Will there be two versions of the show, one in English and the other one in Canadian? That, that's a great question. It's not. It's terrible. Uh, but it's okay. We, we suffer you because we... There's one charity case per year. And funnily enough, every year it's you, Snyder. But nonetheless, here we are. Hey, can I tell you? And I realize this is our Week in IndyCar show, but, you know, we also do the Week in Sports Car show. So if you listen to this, I would hope you all wouldn't be totally against sports cars. For those of you who will be attending the Rolex 24 Daytona, this isn't confirmed. I left a message with uh, good old Jam Jam, uh, James Hinchcliffe today, the, the Jimmy Hinchcliffs. Uh, haven't heard back from him. It's also not totally abnormal. Um, but since we have... Uh, Jimmy Jam here driving for FAF. Realize that our show sponsor is FAF Technologies, makers of fine carbon fiber composites, etc. Uh, not the FAF Motorsports IMSA team, but nonetheless, it's obviously same people. Uh, knowing that there is this alignment in that good old Jimmy Jam is driving for them, the Enduros. Alexander Rossi has been added to the team, now a McLaren team using McLaren 720S GT3 at Daytona. Um, and we have this link where torontomotorsports.com is FAF Motorsports uh, merchandise sales agent at each event. And they have a new trailer. And I was told that they have a new audio system and chairs and microphones and all kinds of stuff. We are trying to put together the first often discussed but never ever happened the first crossover of the marshall pruitt podcast and off track with hinch and rossi knowing that hinch and rossi will indeed be teammates in that faf mclaren that faf technologies is one of our key show partners um and that torontomotorsports.com is indeed they're selling faf merch and is the show's original partner and has the stuff to make audio sounds fly out of that trans that trailer at the event for a podcast we're gonna see what we can pull off so i gotta hear back from jimmy hinchcliffs see if he's in i assume he would be uh, and then gotta speak to the faf folks and say hey could we have them we make that happen on the schedule and find a time and 
I might even reach out to uh, McLaren CEO, Zach Brown, who I think told me he's going to be there and see if he might want to join us. And we can kind of have some FAF IMSA GTD Pro, uh, some McLaren IndyCar, just myself and Graham Goodwin, my co-host for the Week in Sports Car. It, this could be a jamboree at the Toronto Motorsports slash FAF motorsports merch trailer in the vendor midway at daytona so there you go um but we'll be on the lookout for you snyder we'll have security making sure yeah you don't get anywhere near um indy amy how you doing pal she says not sure if the viewership went up we had contestants on dancing with the stars the amazing race and ninja warrior uh i didn't know we had anybody on ninja warrior i'm sure we did and i've forgotten um she says uh but um so-and-so knows Elio is a dance, uh, but hypothetically, if you could pick a driver to be on a reality show, who and what show? Uh, I think Pato would be great on anything. Okay, so let me think of the reality shows that uh, my wife and I watch. So the challenge is really the only one where I think any of this might fit naturally. MTV's challenge, I believe it's called... Uh, there are a few iterations of it now, Challenge All-Stars and whatnot, hosted by T.J. Lavin, Tej, as some of them call him. Um, that's the one that comes to mind, but I think it involves like going somewhere, usually out of the country for weeks, if not more than a month, and living in a house and being a contestant and going through all these physical challenges and some mental, and then the, the final some sort of grueling 12 or 24 hour long thing which just kills you and i i don't know if i see you know scott dixon doing that or graham ray hall like you know <laughs> they got pretty good lives and families to come home to and look after i don't know if pato's going to do that as well um yeah so that might be a little bit too much so the other thing to share is other than the challenge the only reality shows we watch are housewife shows. Um, Atlanta, Potomac, I think Hollywood. Is that the one? I think uh, it's been around forever. Um, those are pretty much it. Uh, there's one about doctors, I think. Married to medicine. Yeah. Um, those would be hilarious. Could you imagine uh, David Malukas, uh, Chicago Davy, um, in and among you know the, these well-established black women on the Real Housewives of Potomac or whatever it's called, or Married to Medicine? It'd be—I mean, I would love to see it. It might be the most awkward, cringe-worthy television ever, but yeah. So the the bad part here, Amy, is although I guess I am aware of some other reality shows, they're just not ones that I watch or we watch. Therefore, I don't really have any frame work to think of uh, whether they would fit on those shows that we don't watch. So it's pretty much the challenge, which nobody would want to do, or one of the Real Housewives shows, of which I would love to see every IndyCar driver because it'd be so damn hilarious at whatever dinner getting up in someone's face having a drink thrown in their face getting red for like 15 minutes long just 
Oh, again, I don't know if it'd move the needle at all, like you said, if it would improve viewership of IndyCar, but oh, damn, would we not have like a full year's worth of memes and clips to use off of just like one episode of hell, I don't know, Romain Groschon on The Real Housewives of Hollywood, right? I mean, right? <laughs> oh, yes, that would be phenomenal. Uh, let's go to Little Green Air Commando says, which driver, considering their respective careers, was peppered with bad luck, wrong place, wrong time, or sheer adversity, would you rather have seen win in any 500? Would that be Roberto Guerrero or Gary Bettenhausen? So had the fortune, good fortune to work with Gary Bettenhausen at the Indy 500 twice. Uh, I'm thinking 99, maybe in 2001, where he was hired as a consultant advisor, super smart guy who just knew stuff and could download that to a driver or whomever. And so I wouldn't pretend to have, known him very well at the time just you know whatever pleasantries and respect shown to him um i know he's probably the obvious answer and also knowing just all the sad stuff that happened throughout his family that yeah um whether it's merle or tony and their losses and everything right just parents and such just leaning Guerrero though, knowing how close it seemed like he came and yeah, uh, some of the hardcore stuff that he went through as well. Um, they were both gamers for sure. I only got to see Gary at the super very end of his career. Uh, got to see a lot more of Roberto's and it, it nosed over a little bit towards the end, right? driving for some teams in the IRL that did their best, but were not capable of matching Roberto's talent with true opportunity. I thought he deserved, but yeah, Roberto's just someone where you're never going to meet a more lovely guy. And yeah, at least for hashtag me personally, uh, it'd be Roberto. Uh, why don't we go to Oleo Larry? Not a name that's familiar to me in the show, so this is a first-time submission. Thank you. MP, why did IndyCar move from majority oval races to majority road and street courses? Well, you had the all-oval Indy Racing League run through 2004. It reimagined itself as... IndyCar series put the IRL away and became the IndyCar series in 2005. And as I understand it, with the vast majority of high power cart IndyCar series teams having come over starting 2000, 2001, 2, 3, 4, and whatnot. Penske's there, Ganassi's there, Andretti's there, and so on. Ray Hall's there. These are organizations that are very much about road racing. Ovals as well, but multi-discipline 
racing is what they're about, what they wanted, what they needed, and also the core competency of the drivers they had, right? So we are talking the Dario Franchitis and the Allenser Juniors and the run through it. Some of these supreme badasses from CART are now doing all ovals. And while many of them were amazing at it and succeeded in doing it, just a bit of a cultural mismatch. So that's why in 2005, the IRL renamed itself the IndyCar Series, went from manual transmissions to semi-automatic transmissions using the good old steering wheel mounted flappy paddles for faster shifting something more suitable for that era modern era road course racing and such and added in some not many but some um road racing disciplined events and as the decade went on they added more and more their rival at the time, which died at the end of 2007, Champ Car, actually had gone away from ovals. And so it was all road and street courses. And so you had, and there wasn't exactly a, a, I don't think there was a perfect matchup where they were competing where one was all one thing and the other one was all the opposite. But this was something where it was part of what Champ Car was offering. And so that was another competitive item. Well, we don't want to be the ones that lack in opportunities for teams new or existing to say, hey, we're representing all over the place. So they said, well, that's another thing we can do in our shift from the all oval IRL where you go, okay, there's nothing Champ Car can offer that we don't. So there's also a bit of a competitive strategy to that. So they transform the cars to be able to race on road and streets and ovals right so not just the transmission there are other items as well aerodynamic packages and other necessary bits but just in a very general sense the cars were converted to be able to do this uh, and matched many of the teams competing the skills of the drivers and it also gave them the ability to say yep there's nothing you need in champ car Everything you might want, we offer here. Um, since then, we've seen ovals take a little bit of a backseat. And it's taken the biggest backseat I can remember in a long while here with only four oval tracks on the schedule in 2024. So I might be a lifelong road racing guy. That's what I came up in. But I have loved ovals since my very first one. And I am definitely among those who say I don't want to go any lower than the four tracks we go to now. Iowa, WWTR, a.k.a. Gateway, Milwaukee, and Indianapolis, obviously. But uh, it's not just the number of tracks, but there's some real culture here that I don't want to see lost. So I don't know where we go to add more ovals. Of course, I hope we go back to Texas. I would hope there'd be a stronger crowd there. But yeah, this this is a soul-searching moment in time for IndyCar to figure out what it is and what it wants to be. So many fronts, 
but ovals certainly an area where you go okay uh, this is who you were for a hundred plus years and it sure feels like we're losing that um, i hope this is just a temporary thing uh eric franklin you are the penultimate questionnaire you say question from last week about old races you say they're almost all on youtube so i spend the month of may watching old broadcasts as a lead up must wonder why the series doesn't do more with youtube see i know folks are under 16 that use youtube um tend to do that like i used to use the television why not do an embedded hard knock style program on youtube well there's no argument here there's no disagreement here uh with the point you raise eric the answer though which is the coming back to reality um they have a deal with nbc where nbc pays them money it's rumored to be in the 20 to 25 million dollars a year um that contract has nbc and its cable channels and its streaming platform with peacock as the one and only core place where its races live where that type of content happens we know that they branched out with the cw for this 100 days to indie thing which is a good like okay so not everything has to be with nbc so that's cool but them doing more with youtube would be brilliant i just don't believe there's much in the way of latitude to do that uh right now their broadcast or how's to forget that their contract with nbc has one season left on it the one we're about to have so i don't know what they're going to come up with by the end of the year hopefully they get this done before the end of the year whomever is going to be their future broadcaster whether it's staying with who they're at with now or adding more diversifying things maybe having a broadcast partner that is different from their streaming partner um i don't know where that ends up eric but i'm with you uh imsa as well with their win the weekend docu-series uh more than a million views of each right like it's a big deal uh youtube is a powerful thing popular streaming solutions <laughs> we know they're a powerful thing no disrespect intended to peacock but at least in the context of indycar and even other series that are involved with them i have yet to come across evidence of that streaming solution being a big and powerful spreader of its gospel and retention or addition of lots of new followers of interest through it so yeah do i think a new broadcast deal is going to drastically change indycar's awareness i don't that's not being negative it's just do i think moving from a nbc to an abc or a fox or a cbs or whatever going to one of those others is going to magically double or triple its tv ratings i don't that 
would be, again, I don't know how that would happen, but that would be a shock. Where the clear area of growth is here, Eric, is on the streaming side. And so to your exact point, whether it's YouTube, whether it is Amazon Prime, whether it's Netflix, whether it's whatever, I don't care. If it's a thing where IndyCar seemingly takes very few dollars in exchange for being able to present itself to a much larger audience, I can't speak to their economics, can't speak to what they consider to be most valuable, but I would think if you can have a strong broadcast deal in place where you get paid a decent sum, uh, the things you do with a streaming solution could actually have the biggest impact. And if there's anyone holding out for, no, we're not going to go with you, Netflix, because you're not offering enough, like, oh boy, I'd hope that would not be the case because all we need is for more people to know about IndyCar. And I think if they know about it and have a predisposition for liking sports, uh, I think they're going to like it if we could just make more people know it existed. Uh, Ryan Caminiti, uh, you say, hey, Beaumont, which <laughs> I'll get to that <laughs> reference in a moment. You say, if Mel Brooks did any car version of Spaceballs, which driver would play Lone Star, Dark Helmet, Barf, and Yogurt? And then I responded to you and said, no, no, I'm asking for you to answer these kinds of things. So I don't. let me scroll down and see if you did. Um, I don't think you did. Did you? I don't know. I don't see it here. So actually, Eric Franklin, you're the penultimate questionnaire. Cam and Eddie. Oh man, this looks like a failure, like a big failure. Uh, you're going to have to wear your 49ers shirt inside out during the next game. Cause I think you might've jinxed something right there, buddy. So, oh, bad, bad Cam and Eddie, bad. All right, let's close the show with, uh, Another question that I posed to you. So, my dear wife, uh, last weekend, I don't remember exactly how it came up. I was saying something. Might have been a little cranky or crotchety. And uh, she knows that my favorite show growing up was Sanford and Son, Fredgie Sanford, played by Red Fox, possibly my greatest life hero. Um, she said, uh, if, <laughs> if, if Fred Sanford had a white son, you would be him. And your name would be Beaumont. <laughs> His son on the show is named Lamont. So Lamont and Beaumont. So, uh, yes, first of all, it's about the funniest damn thing I've, I've heard in a really long time. Uh, so I pose the, I guess, kind of abstract question of, okay, if IndyCar drivers were the son or daughters of TV characters, uh, who would they be the sons or daughter of, and what would their names be? And so, again, this might have been a little too abstract to post, but I appreciate the many of you who uh, played along. Uh, so, first of all, and so on the show, again, this was like 70s, so I know many of you weren't even born, but uh, Fred G. Sanford, uh, they were uh, junk dealers. Uh, so, yeah, that's what they were, and that's what the show is based around. Uh, Nathan DeRover says, Lamont probably had a storage unit full of race car parts too so yeah in and among their uh what fred called not his empire his junk pyre uh eric franklin says will power the illegitimate son of the fawns from happy days from when he made a trip to australia to jump a great white shark on water skis and his name it's will power yes 
and that episode is also what spawned the uh the concept which probably more of a 90s thing not so much a thing today of jumping the shark that episode is kind of where happy days is said to have gone from being kind of a fun whatever thing to watch to a oh you guys are just kind of a sad version of yourselves now so yeah uh hey eric franklin man your answer is just packed with all kinds of stuff here uh you add and you put in a bunch of names here so i appreciate you so that was willpower uh joseph newgarden you say the son of the six million dollar man and bionic woman wow we are just really hitting the 70 shows here all right uh and bionic woman because uh, it's like he was built in the lab anyways his name is robert austin but he goes by bobby because nothing is more all-american than being a bobby there you go we're british bobby too uh alexander rossi is the adopted son of raymond holt and kevin cosner from brooklyn 99 named william much like his dad's he has strong opinions on the proper way to do everything well, that's awesome and thank you for the uh uh captain holt reference there for uh late favorite actor of mine andre brower uh graham ray hall is the son of trish and robert murtaugh that being from lethal weapon uh hey it was a short-lived tv show as well uh named john uh he's inherited his father's catchphrase i'm getting too old for this bleep that that is that that is remarkably spot on uh graham does very graham was an old soul when he was like three but he does have that oh, i'm getting too old for this crap even though he's still young mid-30s uh great stuff here eric uh bill gulker i hope i got that right it says will powers the son of the fawns we got multiple fawns references here henry winkler good for you also known as what the other lead character on barry on hbo i think i forget his name acting coach there on barry yeah uh scott dixon is the son of richie cunningham i got more happy days references that uh ron howard uh santino ferrucci is the son of potsy all right anson williams i think was his name uh alex Pillow is the son of squiggy uh scott mclaughlin is the son of uh ralph mouth and pato ward is the son of chachi wow we we just we, happy days and happy days adjacent uh look at that <laughs> let's see if we stay stuck in the 70s type stuff here or not uh peter nutt friend from holland says joseph newgarden as david hasselhoff's kid in baywatch his name would be joe buck j-o uh, we'd have will power as howling pp murdoch uh from the a-team uh, cookie monster son on sesame street would be david mccookie not malukas but mccookie uh, in the classic avengers series we'd have scott dixon as sir scott steed look at that uh our pal jamie carr says mr beaumont <laughs> i feel like that's never going away i don't know i might have just played myself with that revelation here but uh it would be the first time all right we're getting into what i think this is this the 90s or the early 2000s i apologize i didn't really watch this show uh that 70s show uh alexander rossi would be red foreman's illegitimate son say also his name would be eric but it's eric with a k uh his son on the show is eric with a c you know since it's rossi 
who we've already identified as being very particular. I think Red Foreman, knowing this, I think from the limited amount of the show I've seen that, uh, yeah, the dad was like pretty specific as well, a little crotchety. Um, I think he'd know that his illegitimate son, uh, who was really the embodiment of himself, as uh, Alexander Rossi, I don't think he'd go for Eric with a K. I feel like because it's so very specific, it would be E R I C H. So Eric, but that is that like German spelling? I don't know. But yeah, E R I C H. Like if Alexander Rossi was an Eric, that's how it would be spelled because it's just very specific, definitive, and rare, just like him. All right. Where are we at here? Are we? Yep, we're almost done. Ryan Caminiti, you're back. I'm surprised we're letting you in after that poop in the punch bowl here to close the Q&A. Sam P, so I'm thinking that Benjamin Peterson would be a fantastic version of Tobias Funk from Arrested Development, and his name would be Frank Fontana Funk, whose sister is Murphy Brown Funk. Uh, I, I feel like I'm outing myself again for things that I sh- should not admit to. Uh, I know a lot of folks say the rest of development's the best show ever. I might've watched the first three minutes of the first episode and was like, yeah, no. So maybe I need to, uh, maybe I need to watch that again or try, or I don't know. Um, Jason Hatfield, you say Joseph Newgarden would be David Hasselhoff's again, uh, Hinch, no mention Hoff Newgarden, definite mentions. David Hasselhoff's Mitch Buchanan and Pamela Anderson's C.J. Parker. He'd be their love child from Baywatch, and his name would be Buff Buchanan. <laughs> Buff Buchanan. That If the bus bros still existed, that sounds like it would need to be a thing. Uh, Ken Anderson, you are uh, back again. You say Santino Frucci? He'd be uh, the Cosmo Kramer. He'd be Cosmo Kramer from Seinfeld. One of your favorites, I tell you, you people. Um, two to go. Lance Snyder. Oh, man, what are we doing? He's back. He's a TV show, The Ultimate Fighter. The son of The Ultimate Fighter, DJ Willie P. Yeah, for sure. Maybe the only IndyCar driver who can fight. Uh, no, nah, I'd, I'd put McLaughlin in there. He looks like he's had to handle himself at some point in time. I know others, you know, box and do some MMA and other things for training, but in terms of like, yeah, actual fighter, that's DJ Willie P. Uh, we're going to close with the scruffiest of monsters. So seeing we're doing the Canada thing, sorry, eh? I'm going to say the trailer park boys. Oh, great call. With Scotty Mack and Joseph as Ricky and Julian and Swolden Herta as Bubbles. That's what we got. See? Ask a ill-formed, ill-conceived question and get answers that are pretty darn good. I appreciate y'all. I feel like y'all kind of saved me on this one. I feel like I need to do a lot better on the next. So if you got ideas for kind of a question of the week that's fun, silly, or something you can riff on, maybe serious, I don't know. Um, send them in, uh, send them in and send me whatever at Marshall Pruitt on Twitter slash X. I believe it's Marshall dot Pruitt on Instagram. I created an Instagram account in like 
2000, I don't know when, early 2010s, at Marshall Pruitt, then didn't use it for like seven or eight years, forgot, and just could not come up with not just my password, but like where the recovery would have happened. And so, yeah, I had to create a second one. So yeah, Marshall.Pruitt on the good old Instagram. Um, and I think, yeah, just Marshall Pruitt on Facebook. But anyways, cross those various ways. Uh, send me something or a DM or an email or I don't know, whatever. Um, anybody who sends me an idea for questions in the mail, uh, I'm just going to send you all kinds of uh, fun stuff in return because you're crazy, but I love crazy. Um, thanks for everything you've done for us this week with your questions and your silly answers. Uh, if you are a person who loves motor racing and is looking for your tribe, your family, if you aren't already a member of the Day listener group, which formed just on their own in and around the show, I strongly recommend joining them because they are just a fun and loving and funny irreverent group also get together at many of the races and i mean really and truly um they are a racing family and so many of the members have become really and truly dear friends if you want to do that you want to join the information on how to do that is in the description here of the good old show uh also check out marshallpruittpodcast.com we have more than 1470 episodes for you to listen to And that's about all I got for you. So until I speak to you next, thanks, y'all.